First John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So I want to just talk about this passage, because uh, I've, we've talked about the fact that John uh, is very matter-of-fact. He's a guy who doesn't see a lot of gray area. Uh, and so, uh, once again, he makes this statement, if you love the world... The love of the Father is not in you. Now, those kinds of statements trouble me, to be honest. Because how many understand that that, uh, John was an idealist? Let that sink in for a minute. Those kinds of statements come from an individual who's idealistic in their approach to life. If If you do this, you can't be that. And I and I'm thinking, Lord, I'm a believer. And I love you with all of my heart. And yet, I find those conversations like the Apostle Paul had in the book of Romans where he says, you know, I want to do the right thing and I don't do the right thing and I wish I could do the right thing, but I don't find the ability within myself to do the right thing and, and I try and then I can't. And he didn't live there all his whole life, but, but he experienced that. He was talking about a season of time in his life and experience where he, he struggled to do what was right. And, and I know that that sense and that feeling. And then I read a statement like this, and I'm like, nobody can do this, right? You read things like that, and you think, well, what is that? But, but what I want to, uh, to point out to you is this. When John says, if anyone loves the world, if his priority are the things of the earth, if his love is for these things that are temporary, if that is the focus of his heart, then the love of the Father is not in him. Because if that is the focus of his heart, then there is no room in his heart for these other things. So how many of you have ever, you you know that you love someone, or you know that you feel love towards someone, but that love is not mature. You're not all in. You care about him, it matters but you're not all in. That love isn't mature. Well, many of us, the the love of the Father is something that grows and develops in us. The Bible speaks and teaches us of the love of God maturing in us. We've read some of that in the book of John. And so what John is shooting for here is the idea. If you love the world, this is an indicator to you that the love of the Father is not yet complete and mature within your life. If the love of the world is your focus, then the love of the Father is not your focus. You can be anywhere on the spectrum of divided interests. You can have this great passion for the things of the world and and every once in a while think about the love of God and, and, and relationship with God, or you can have this great relationship with God and every once in a while have a little bout with the things of the world and, and anywhere in between in terms of maturing in the things of the Lord. But we're all on this walk together. And I want to challenge you that if you love the world, then what this is is an indicator to you that there's a place for the love of the Father to grow in you. And, and the other thing is, this is not, he did not say lo- the love for the Father is not in you. I want to make sure you get the verbiage correct there and that you really pay attention because I'm thinking, Lord, I love you. And he said, that's not what I said. The love for the Father is different than the love of the Father because the love for the Father is the love that I feel toward Him as my relationship develops with Him. But the love of the Father is the love that allows me to love someone that's unlovable when I can't hardly stand to be in the same room with them. How many have experienced that? Don't, don't. The love of the Father is the love that gives you and I the ability to love the unlovable even though they're not worthy of our attention or they've not done anything to deserve or to, to, uh, to cultivate an environment that would draw our attention to them in any positive way. And yet there's this love in, in us for them to draw them into our lives and into the life of the kingdom of God and into the life of relationship with Him. The love of the Father helps you and I draw others who need that love into that love. 
That's different than love for the Father. Jesus said, if you love me, then you do the things that I say and the things that I do and you follow my example. So, so then that love that we have for him then begins to produce a life that is birthed out of that love. So if you can look at your life, the, the reason these things that John says are important is because it gives us markers in our life. I, I can look at my life and I can see where the love of the Father is in lack within myself. If we're willing to do the assessment. I'm not going to do that for you. I'm not going to look at you and go, uh-uh-uh. That's not my job. My job is to equip you and to point you in the right direction. You must make the assessment. We each must make the assessment. Is the love of the Father mature in my life? Am I able to produce love in environments where ordinarily uh, the human experience would produce bitterness or anger or frustration or, 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 or uh, division or departure from relationship? Is the love of the Father mature enough in me that I can, that I can press through difficult situations and, and still walk in love? If you love the world, the love of the Father is not mature in you yet. How many would say with me, I'm I'm on my way? I I would say to you, because the the enemy will come to you in those times of frustration, the times of failure, time when we don't get it right. Listen, there's plenty of times when I don't get it right. My children will tell you and laugh at some stories when dad didn't get it right. Let's not talk about those right now, but nevertheless, they can tell you later. And you can all have a good laugh. But there's times when we walk away and, and we look back and we think, I could have handled that situation better. I could have handled that situation more appropriately to the life of the believer. The enemy would want you to feel condemned about that, but the Lord says, come on, just keep, keep, keep moving along here. His mercies are new every morning, so let's get up this morning and say, yesterday is gone, all right? So he reminds us the motivation for loving the, having the love of the Father and not love for the world is that the things of the world are passing away. The things of the world, the things that we get so enamored with in this world, they are temporary. The love, he, he, he names them in the context of, uh, of sinful thinking, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The, but, but how many understand the, lust of, the, the, the flesh can lust for many things? The eye can desire many, many things. Anything that your eye can desire in the earth is temporary yes. at best. Anything your heart can desire of the earth is temporary at best. The pride of life. Uh, you're gonna, I, I was reading, as I was preparing for yesterday's memorial, I was reading some stories about old hymns that are, that are used to encourage folks at the time of their passing. And, and, and one of the stories this priest told of, of standing uh, often beside the, the bed of a dying man who had uh, great trophies from uh, being a military man. So he had all kinds of awards. And uh, the, the priest shared the story that uh, he be, he, they begin to talk about the old hymn uh, where he, he said, I'm going to lay my trophies down. I'm going I'm to lay them down. I'm going I'm to pick up my crown. And, and so he and the, this priest had shared the, these words from the song and, and, uh, uh, and uh, this words from Scripture. And, and the, the, the gentleman was very excited about the fact that I'm going to lay those things down and I'm going to pick up my eternal reward. And so the story was that this man had declined to the point now that he's basically in a coma. He hasn't said anything to his family and he's just within hours or, uh, of, of passing from this life. And the priest said, I was standing beside his bed and I just felt, uh, I, I just felt an urgency to sing that song again. And he said, when we got to the line that said, I'm going to lay those down and exchange them one day for a crown, that he just broke out in the loudest voice on key and exchanged them someday for a crown. And it was the last thing he said. He sang with his children those words and then he slipped off into the presence of the Lord. I said all that to say this. If 
The pride of life will draw us to be built up in our own accomplishments, but they too are temporary. Everything that we can do in this life, being uh, the, the, the self-made individuals that we as Westerners have become, just laid at the feet of Jesus. It's temporary. So he says, for all that is in the world, it's passing away. The world is passing away. But he who does the will of the Father, the love of the Father, produces in us the will of the Father. He who does the will of the Father abides. Amen? So then, then it goes on in 1 John 2 and 24. We're just going to jump down. We're talking about the 20 ifs of 1 John. 2 and 24 says, Therefore, let that abide with you which you heard from the beginning. If, how many love the word if? If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Now what does that mean? That means the gospel that was delivered unto you, the word of the Lord that was delivered unto you, that brought you into his presence in the first place, don't let anyone or anything rob that from you. The apostle said in one place to the church, he said, you ran well for a while. Who hindered you from this? How come your run was temporary? How come your approach was temporary? At what point did, did someone confuse you so that you ceased to run with zeal toward the Lord? You ran well for a short period of time. He wasn't condemning them. He was saying, return to the run. Get back to it. So if that which you heard from the beginning, there's this wonderful thing. Listen, I love theology. I, I, I have a degree in theology. I love theologians, people who study the word and, and who take it apart and unpack it. And that's kind of what we're doing when we deal with the word if. So we're kind of just unpacking the, a real focused portion of scripture. I love all of that. But did you know there are some theologians out there that will make living for God so complicated? And even I, and I don't consider myself to be a terribly complicated thinker, but whenever an approach to theological understanding of the Word of God becomes so complicated, I have to go back to, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's get back to the foundation. Let's get back to the basics. Let's return to, he loves me. I love him. He died for me. He forgave me. He gave me entrance. He said nothing can separate me from his love. Let's get back to the basics here. So, he, so, so the apostles reminding us, don't make this terribly complicated. If that which you heard from the beginning that reminds you that Jesus is your Savior, if that remains in you, if that which you heard from the beginning that gave you confidence in who He is is what remains in you, let that remain. All this other stuff... Listen, if somebody comes to you and they're teaching you and their teaching of the things of God makes your understanding of Him or your access to Him convoluted and difficult, lay it down. Let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. God is not complicated. And a relationship with God is not complicated. Now, studying His Word and peeling back the layers and, and looking at the beauty of the multifaceted glory of the Lord, everyone should be hungry to do that. I want to know and understand Him in all of those facets. I want to know Him in His love. I want to know Him in His justice. I want to know Him in His rewards. I, I even want to know Him in His correction. Lord, help me. And instruction in his wisdom, in his counsel, in his provision. I want to know him in all of his character, his goodness, his righteousness, his joy, his, his everlasting. I want to know him in all of these things. But I want to know him in the simplicity of his love for me and for you.
He loves us. When that song we sang this morning, Oh, How He Loves Us, you know, the, we sang those words. When, when, when that song first came out and I heard that section, just heard that section, Oh, How He Loves Us, and I imagined the congregation standing and singing, Oh, How He Loves Us, and I thought, shouldn't we be singing, Oh, How We Love Him? You know, that's worship. But when we begin to sing, oh, how he loves us, and it arises on our understanding how much he loves us, that becomes such worship. That experience expressing an understanding of how he loves you so much that you can't do anything to make him stop loving you. If you have a relationship with people that you can love them when their behavior is correct, but you can stop loving them when their behavior is incorrect, that relationship is immature. And that relationship needs healing. He loves me. He loves you. And you're not going to do anything. To, I, I'm, you're not going to do anything to change that. Now, my children, I love them with all my heart. Nothing they can do is going to take my love for them away. Does that mean I'm going to give them everything they want anytime they ask? No, probably not. I might give them a good sense of correction and direction when what they wanted was gimme, gimme, daddy. But I won't stop loving them. They'll never know a time when they don't have access. You should never know a time. Listen, that's revelation. You should never know a time when you don't have access to Him. If you don't have access to Him, that's on you. Not on Him. He's never rejected you. You are not rejected. He's never turned from you. Let that be the foundation of that which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides with you, if, listen to the promise that is there, if what you heard from the beginning abides with you, you will abide in the the Son and in the Father. If what you heard, if you will not let what you heard that brought you to a relationship with God be stolen from you, the promise of the Scripture is that you will abide. The days of in and out are gone. Praise the Lord. He will abide in the Son and the Father, and the promise of the Father is that He has promised us eternal life. What confidence we can have. Then uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 29. Another if. If you know, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I hope that studying in 1 John makes you look for if in every, every book of the Bible that you study. If you know... I know that I know that I know, right? This is the kind of knowing that this is talking about. If you have the assurance that he is righteous. Now, now keep in mind, you're, you're keeping in your heart that which you've heard from the beginning that connects you to him. And now that you are fully connected to him and nothing's going to rob you of your connection to the Lord and your, your relationship with him. Now you know that he is righteous. You conclude that he is holy, that he is altogether righteous, that there is nothing evil or unclean in him, nothing wicked in him. You know that he is righteous. Then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. It's another one of those matter-of-fact things that John says. Well, here's the thing that that does. It motivates us to the practice of the character of God. 
See, it's one thing to say, Jesus, come and forgive me of my sins. It's another thing to allow Jesus to forgive me of my sins and then change me and reshape me to look like him. Because the hope is that at some point in this walk with him, I look more like him than I used to look like me. That I begin to look more like him and less like the world. That I begin to look more like his character and less like the character of an individual who was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That people begin to look into my life and see Jesus. Just as I was sharing with you the promise that, that God made to Abraham that people would look at his life and, and say of him, what is it about you that is so different? So that Abraham and his offspring would have the opportunity to say, well, it's not me, it's Jehovah. Well, if you know that he is righteous, then his righteousness begins to shape the character of your life. And you begin to, to make decisions because the one that you serve is righteous. You begin to make righteous decisions. Oh my, I'm preaching to myself now. You begin to make right living decisions because the one that we are following is righteous. And so it becomes easy to follow in his righteousness because we're following him and he is righteous. See how simple that is? Then it becomes uncomplicated. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to do what is right, but it's so hard to do what is right. I'm trying to do... No, he's righteous and I'm following him. So he's not going down that hard to do what is right path. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So there's two things that are there for you. If you know that he is righteousness, or that he is righteous, if you know, then you know. I love that, that, that little reality there. If you know, then you know. Let that sink in for a minute. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone, now before we start looking around the room at everyone, let's look in the mirror at everyone, I just suspect when Scripture talks about everyone, it's talking about me. And Anthony. <laughs> everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What is that? It's, it's the measuring of Jesus. It's the measuring stick of the Savior. You know what that frees me from? I don't have to compare myself to someone else. In fact, the scripture tells me that it is foolish of me. It is foolish of us if we compare ourselves among ourselves. I'm not the measuring stick for your walk with God. Follow me as I follow Christ. But if I veer off, follow Christ. He's our measurement. His righteousness is the thing that we are shooting for. We look for examples in others, but we follow Him. Because if you look long enough in the life of another, the other will disappoint you. And if you looking at me will make you stumble, you're looking at the wrong person. If you're looking at someone else, and you'll say, well, I thought they were better than that. Think again. Only Jesus is better than that. Follow him. I mean, listen, that's just, that's, that's, that's just some good pastoral teaching. Follow him. At the point that the persons that you are following are in a place of their own stumble and their own struggle, your responsibility is to pray for and lift them up and follow Him. And you hope that when you're in your season of difficulty, your season of stumbling, and your season of struggle, that someone is there to lift you up and encourage you, but follow Him. 
So if you know that he is righteous, this is, good. this is a key to the kingdom. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I'm so glad it, did, it, it, it didn't say practices rules. There's a big difference between righteous living and rule following. We ain't going back there. I grew up, I grew up in, in great Pentecostal environments, amazing moves of God. But in the environment that I grew up with, it, everything was a sin. I mean, it was a sin. If it was fun, it was a sin. Now, there's some things that are fun that are sin. Don't, don't get me wrong. The Bible says that Moses chose to go with, walk with in the afflictions of the righteous rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The, 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 the uh, prodigal son left his daddy's house because there was pleasure associated with his plan. So... So the barometer there is not whether or not it's fun, but when I was growing up, if it was fun, it was sin. I mean, everything, it was wrong. It was wrong to think about having fun, I think. <laughs> we were told not to have sinner friends, right? Then once a year, they'd call the evangelist, they'd come for two weeks, and they'd say, bring all your sinner friends. We're going to get them saved. <laughs> and I'm like... Which sinner friends am I supposed to bring? The ones I'm not supposed to have? Because there was some thinking in the context of a legalistic environment, there's some thinking that darkness will somehow dispel light. So stay away from those sinner folk. That's not what the Bible teaches us at all. You are light. You're light in the world. If you're in a dark place, shine bright. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But it helps you to measure yourself against Jesus and not against someone else. How many know that there, there are some folks who are, who are extremely mature in the Lord and, and they're of great challenge to you when you get around them. You think, I want to be... Here's, here's my spiritual father right here. I get around him. I want to be just like him in so many ways. Yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> he challenges me to walk with God in, in, a, in an intimate relationship. There are people like that around you. But how many know that there are some people that are so insecure that when they get around people that are successful, they feel less than rather than feeling challenged by? That's because the ultimate measurement is supposed to be Jesus, not someone else. The measurement is Jesus. He's righteous. He always will be. He, won't, he will not fail in his righteousness. It's wonderful. Then, let's see. 1 John chapter 3 Verse 13, we won't spend a lot of time here, but it's, well, maybe we will, I don't know. Holy Spirit, help me. First John chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, Do not marvel, my brethren. I think this is important for the church in our generation to hear. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. You're a follower of righteousness. The world ain't going to like it. So let me share with you, that wasn't great English, but nevertheless. He's saying... <laughs> I missed that. He's saying, if the, if the world hates you, don't be caught off guard by that. Don't be put off by the fact that because you're a follower of Jesus, someone might not like you. Don't let that bother you. Jesus had a whole... There was a whole discussion... In the book of John, chapter 15, begins with verse 18. I want to read some of this. You, you stay with me for a minute. If the world hates you, Jesus said, you know that it hated me. Well, that's simple. It hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. Isn't that, isn't that just phenomenal? 
Well, there again, you get a little point of measurement. Does the world love, love, love you? Or is the light that's in you sometimes a little bit of an abrasive force to the darkness that's around you? If, if, you, if you go to the water cooler at work to get a drink and they walk away because the conversation that they're having, they know you wouldn't uh, particularly enjoy, and, and so they pull back from you a little bit, you let that be okay. You just get comfortable in your own skin, child of God. Because there's some light that is dispelling darkness. You're not being arrogant. You're not being judgmental. You're not being harsh. You're not, you're not repelling them because you're doing something wrong. You're... If there is any repelling of them, it's because you're doing what is right. You're letting your light shine. Some folks, when the light comes in the room, they feel judged by it. And so they say, you're so judgy. No, it's the light that's judging. Christians are so judgy. No, they just walk around and shine light in darkness. And you love darkness because your deeds are evil. That's what the Bible says. So, so a lot of times people just feel judged by you because, because of the light that is in you. I've had people apologize to me for their language because I'm a preacher. I'm like, don't catch me on a bad day. I might say something to surprise you. When Jonathan was 16, 15, 16, he's in his 30s now. He's a young man, pastor was preaching, bishop was preaching, and, and, and he said this. I'm going to say this. <laughs> Facebook Live. He said, you can't bitch and praise at the same time. He said that in the pulpit. So my son comes home and says, can I say that word now? So you know what? My great parenting skills, you go ask pastor. If he'll give you permission, you can use that word. (laughs) But you can't moan around about your circumstances and worship him at the same time. Moaning and worshiping can't come out of your mouth all at the same time. It's truth. This church is known for speaking the truth, so... I come from good roots. I'm standing on a good foundation. So the world might hate you because there's light in you, simply because there's light in you. Something good in you might repel the darkness in them. If they feel a little put off by you, it's because light's pushing back against darkness. God is trying to reveal Himself to them. And whenever they get a little bit uh, uh, upset with you and feel that you're being judgy with them, pour on a little bit of love. Just love your way through that. And let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You guys are still back at that other. Some of y'all visitors are going to go home and quote me on Facebook and then you're going to... Listen to what, this, I already, you know, we're on live, so. Wonder if my, uh, my national bishop might watch Facebook Live today. They'll do, they do, you know what they do? They just go, oh, those people from California. <laughs> just California. When they don't know what to say about us, they go, it's just California. They never know what to say about us too much. Anyway. Jesus goes on to say, Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world, the world hates you. The world hates... Listen to what Jesus is saying on this subject. The world hates you because I chose you. Oh my, that should do something uh, to your spiritual well-being and to your spiritual self-esteem. The world hates you because I chose you. 
Isn't that wonderful? Somebody ought to write that down. You ought, go have that. If you're going to get a tattoo, tattoo that. <laughs> Don't get a tattoo. But if you're going to, if you're going to get, it, huh? No, I did it. Oh, it's California people. Remember the word that I said to you, verse 20 of John chapter 15. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they'll keep yours. Oh my Lord, this should empower you. Jesus said, if they kept my word, they'll keep yours. The things that you say of me, the things that you speak of me, when you deliver the kingdom into the earth, you will find those who will go, oh, that's what I want. Go get those. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. Oh, you ought to be empowered by that. Some of y'all ought to highlight that and write that down and go back and study that out and dig on that a little bit. Because Jesus said, greater things than these. These things that I've done, you're going to do greater still. So if they would follow me, they'll follow you. I'm going to try to read the rest of this passage fairly quickly. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. You know, when you read these words, this, this, this shouldn't make a believer feel anything but compassion. This should actually kind of break our hearts a little bit. They're doing this because they don't know the one who sent me. Can you hear the... I just hear some brokenness in the heart of Jesus as he said those words. He wasn't saying those in a corrective, instructive way. He was saying those with compassion, with heartbreak. Uh, just as when he wept over the city of Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wing. I would have gathered you together in a place of safety. But you would not. You wouldn't be gathered. That's the nature that I feel in these words. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they wouldn't have any sin because they wouldn't have any understanding. But now they've seen and yet hated both me and my father. You know what I've learned about evangelism? About sharing Jesus? When you share Jesus and when you show them the works of Jesus and, and when you show them the good things of the kingdom and they reject that, just... Continue to pray for him and move on till you find someone who receives it. Those that are rejecting him, cover them in your prayer and occasionally have a word to see if that rejection is still a part of who they are. Don't feel like you're being rejected when the light in you is rejected. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting him. Matt said when he was here, Matt Helen from Amsterdam said when he was here, he just enjoyed working in the streets of, of Fresno with our team and alone. He took his bike. I live nine miles away. He rode his bike over here and back several times when he was here and all the way talking, talking to people. I, I still meet people in the street that, and at the store and at the mall that Matt talked to about Jesus. And he said it's so wonderful because he's in Europe and in Europe it's, it's a much darker spiritual environment than it is even here, if you can believe that. And so he says, I walk, he says if I walk through the street and I ask 20 people if, if they will let me pray for them, uh, that, that at least 18 of them will say, yes, would you please, in Fresno. But if I walk through the streets of Amsterdam and I meet 20 people and I ask them to let me pray with them, they say, he said, 18 will say no. He said, it's exactly the opposite. He said, maybe. He said, I have to, to sift through 20 people to get two or three that will let me pray with them. So he was so delighted to work in the streets of our city because, because there's still a tenderness toward the things of the Lord in comparison to some other environments. 
But if you're rejected, they're rejecting him. Jesus said, as he finished this discourse in verse 25 of 1 John 15, this happened that the word might be fulfilled. He said, this was prophesied. They hated me without a cause. I went and I did good among them. I told them of the love of the Father. I told them of the good of the kingdom and, and, and they rejected, they hated me. That just fulfillment. In other words, Jesus was saying, we saw it coming. You and I just as well get our head around the idea that rejection is coming as it relates to the good news of the gospel. Okay. We see it coming. We live in an environment where we see it coming. If you're following, Deanna and I were talking about the legislature and things that are going on in state legislature right now. If you're watching those things, you see it coming. You need to move against it, pray uh, against it, and, and speak against it, and take whatever action against it you need to take as a voting member of, of this culture. But, but we see it coming. We see it coming. But where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish today with 1 John 3, 20 through 23. And it says this. For if our heart condemns us, Lord, Holy Spirit, help us in this moment. This, this conversation right here is very, very important. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, I hope you're seeing these things that John is writing as measuring barometers for the maturity of your life. You need to use them that way. Don't use them to measure others. Use them to measure you. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us the commandment. So I want to just talk to you about the heart for a minute because many people go through life feeling condemnation. And the Bible says in Romans, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it qualifies that statement and says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit, who've learned to walk in the Spirit. People who are condemned are walking in the flesh. It's just a good reality. If you feel condemnation, you're being led by your flesh. That feeling is leading you. Not the word of God. Not the truth of, of the Savior. So, but he goes on here, he says, If our hearts condemn us, realize that God is greater than our heart. So let's talk about the heart for a minute. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You know these parents that raise their children, Oh honey, just follow your heart. You are foolish if you're teaching your children to follow their heart because they'll follow their heart, they'll take their inheritance, they'll leave your house, they'll squander it in the pig pen if you teach them to follow their heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow his heart. Get his understanding, his purpose for your life. Follow his heart. Not yours. Because the heart of man, by nature, is deceitfully wicked. Why is that? Because we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That's what the scripture says. So my heart, if I'm just doing what my heart wants to do, my heart is going to lead me wrong more times than it will lead me right. My heart will lead me to a high level of frustration because my heart would become very selfish. Because my heart wants what I want. How many know that you can't be a successful husband and father of nine children and let your heart run you around? 
Because there's times when other people need things. No matter what you're going through, you got to do what the people you love need. Well, if you follow your heart, you'll abandon your responsibility. Because your heart is deceitfully wicked. It's born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But God is greater than your heart. He knows all things. He knows what you're thinking when nobody else can read your mind. Thank God nobody else can read your mind. But He knows what you're thinking. He knows the struggle of your heart. The Bible says, out of your heart flow the issues of life. It's your struggle. It's within the framework of the heart where, where the Apostle Paul was expressing, I want to do what's right. I end up not doing what's right. Why am I pointing at this side? I want to do what's right. That just doesn't feel right. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature that is hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open and bare uh, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now listen, that used to scare me to death. And all of a sudden, when that truth came into me, it became a great comfort to me. Because he knows me, and he still doesn't reject me. I would not have picked me. Let me help you. I would not have picked me. He did. I was telling someone when they were having pastor for lunch conversation, but they were having it with me. And they were saying, we need a pastor that does this, and we need a pastor that does that, and we need a pastor that... And they were giving me their list. And I said, I don't know, but I'm not doing those things for you. He picked me. Take it up with him. I actually said that. It was one of those times when I really had... It, I was all there. I said, look... I said, I don't know why God picked me. I wouldn't have picked me, but he picked me. So if I'm, if I'm falling short in some area, his grace is sufficient. I, I was nicer, see, than, than what I sounded like to you at the first. But <laughs> I mean, I wasn't mad. Maybe a little hurt in my flesh, but I wasn't mad. And I, so I said, you know, if, so if I'm falling short, I apologize that I'm falling short, but, but, but if, I, if I'm not everything that I need to be as a pastor, you've got to take it up with my boss. He picked me. I didn't pick me. I wouldn't have. If I was God, would I have set it up this way? No. But he continually reminds me that he didn't ask my opinion. He has yet to ask my opinion. And he's given my opinion back to me when I've offered it. Many, many times. But the point of all of this is to get you to the point in your relationship with the Lord where your heart does not condemn you. God is greater than your heart. So ladies and gentlemen, when you get up in the morning and you have that overwhelming sense of inadequacy in the approach to life and the things that are on your plate and the things that are ahead of you to do, or whenever you are around... Uh, some, some legalistic-minded folks who are harsh with you and they're making you feel low and they're making you feel like you're less than. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And the things that He said about you is greater than the things that anyone else could say about you. And then the opinions He has of you are greater than even the opinions you have of yourself. God cannot lie. Do you understand that? He said, you're the apple of His eye. He said, you're the righteousness of God in, through Christ Jesus. If he said that about you, he's greater than your heart. Would you believe him instead of believing your heart? Would you believe him instead of believing someone else's opinion? Would you believe him instead of believing what someone else is preaching and perpetuating in the earth today about, about you or how they think you ought to walk or live your life? Listen, if, if it's coming to you in condemnation, it is not from Him. 
Jesus continually said, listen, if he would say to a prostitute, neither do I condemn you. Just go and get free from this. Don't, don't continue this way. But I'm not condemning you. If your heart is condemning you today, I just, I just want to speak over your life that God is greater than your heart. His word over your life is greater than your heart. His thoughts toward you are greater than your thoughts toward you. His thoughts toward you are greater than, than, than the thoughts of your friends and your family and, and your loved ones and, and the people around you who seemingly, seemingly never understand you. Well, they are going to get you. They didn't create you, but He gets you. He made you. But if you get the confidence that God is trying to build in you about who you are in His presence and about how wonderful you are to Him and and about how much you mean to Him, and you are so worth dying for. And when you get that in and that becomes a part of who you are and you realize what an amazing individual you are because of Jesus, then you can be, as chapter 3 verse 21 says, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. This room is full of people who need to come to a new level of confidence toward God. You need to tell your heart and your mind to shut up and listen to what the Word of God says. You need to have some conversations with yourself about who you are and about how God made you. And you need to, ha- to bring the Word to the forefront of the self-talk that is taking place in your life and of the things that other people are saying to you and about you. You need to replace those words with the Word of God and let your heart have confidence before God. We have confidence toward God. That there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And the Bible says that when we get to that place, when we arrive upon the place that we realize that we are able to have confidence before Him, when we actually ask Him for something, we receive what we ask. I used to have this whole conversation with God about why my prayers were not answered as consistently as I would hope. And now I'm in a season of my life where my prayers are answered far more. If, if I pray for something and God does not respond to that, I realize that I'm asking for the wrong thing because He answers my prayer. 